Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Earth treading stars that make dark heaven light. Dark working sorcerers that change the mind. And this detested dark blood drinking pit. Yet dark night strangles the traveling lamp. Dark night that from the eye his function takes. How darkly and how deadly dost thou speak? Dark needs no candles now, for dark is light. Dark, cloudy death overshades his beams of life. I'll keep him dark and safely locked. The root of hemlock digged in the dark. All the foul terrors in dark-seated hell Darkening my clear sun, my lord. Farewell. Foul, contagious darkness in the air, and you are darkened in this action, sir. That the dark night can afford the jaws of darkness to devour. And we, we are for the dark. Night has fallen on the desert to some remote and desert place quite out. This shadowy desert, unfrequented woods, the least of these unspeakable deserts. The ill counsel of a desert place that would be howled out in the desert air. strange tales about the Southwest, there is one that checks every box, every box on the list of the damned. Cattle mutilations, black helicopters, UFOs that hover over creeks and fade into mountainsides. A big hairy monster, of course, and a mysterious mesa at the center of it all. Archuleta Mesa. Visible from anywhere in the small town of Dulce, New Mexico. A half century ago, a state policeman by the name of Gabe Valdez investigated a number of cattle mutilations around Dulce. 
Just across the state line in Colorado's San Luis Valley, dead livestock was turning up all over, and it did not sit right with the ranchers, who kept finding the strangest situations on isolated patches of rangeland. No signs of predators or weapons, no footprints or tire tracks, no sign of blood or struggle. Just big, dead ranch animals untouched by insects or vultures or coyotes. Often with bizarre surgical cuts. A single ear removed. The reproductive organs gone. One leg neatly deboned. That sort of thing. The first we heard of the mysterious mutilated livestock in our modern era was in the year 1967, and it happened in the San Luis Valley, too. Across the state line in Colorado, on the Harry King Ranch. On the night of September 7, a horse named Lady failed to come home from the pasture. When she was found some 36 hours later, only a quarter mile from the ranch house, Lady was dead. Every bit of hide and skin was gone, and from the neck to the nose, nothing remained but white bleach bone. No blood, no sign of struggle. A day later, the exposed bone had turned pink and some 15 circular exhaust marks were discovered around the animal's remains, along with a circular depression in the brush. When the horse's owner picked up a bit of horse flesh some distance away from the animal's corpse, her fingers began burning and turning red. The area around the strange slaughter was tested with a Geiger counter and the readings were high. And by then the horse's exposed bones had turned completely black. Agnes King, the 87-year-old mother of rancher Harry King, had something interesting to add to the report the same night the horse went missing. Mrs. King witnessed a large flying object pass low in the sky over the ranch house. It was an early notice in the newspapers that something was a little bit odd about the San Luis Valley, which covers all or part of six counties in southern Colorado and northern New Mexico, a high desert land of scenic wonders at an average elevation of 7,600 feet. Within this valley is the magnificent Great Sand Dunes National Park, the tallest sand dunes on the North American continent. Then and now, it is a remote valley surrounded by alpine mountaintops and known for bizarre sights in the night sky. And at the University of Colorado, scientists were already studying the many reports of flying saucers and mystery lights over this land where the Rio Grande begins its journey. At this time, now forgotten by most who get excited about the UFO phenomenon, the university was putting together a massive study on UFOs for the Air Force. 
So the researchers added the mystery horse death with its close-up flying saucer sighting by Agnes King to their work. But the sheriff's department refused to even send anyone out to investigate, and the newspapers botched the story so badly that the horse-named Lady became a horse-named Snippy. So it was that Snippy the horse became the first mutilated farm animal national sensation. Most of the victims were cattle. About 90% of all mutilated livestock are cattle. Stock cattle. It makes you think about the business news because that's where the words come from. Cattle is Old English from the same Latin that gives us capital as in Das Kapital. Or the word chattel as in movable property or chattel slavery. Stock is what we've always called farm animals, eventually livestock, to refer to the living stock because we borrowed stock to mean ownership shares of a company or corporation. Our first steps to civilization were based on cattle. Our oldest known human-built structures, great outdoor temples still being carefully unearthed in Anatolia, were for the purpose of roundups and barbecues with plenty of beer made on-site for the festivities. Bulls and cows became our horn gods, the gods of Crete and India, and especially Palestine. Humans still practice forms of cow worship around the world. From the sacred cows of India to the bullfights of Spain and the rodeos of North and South America. But in our secular era, cattle means business. So when mutilated bulls and steers and cows and calves began turning up all over the West following the weird news of Lady, a.k.a. Snippy, it was a mystery with a big price tag. A bull or a steer can weigh more than 2,000 pounds. Beef cows generally top out at 1,200 pounds or about $1,000 a head in today's dollars. Breeding bulls might be worth five or $10,000, depending on the breed. As with that first famous mutilation, the reports often involve sightings of unknown lights and aircraft. By the 1970s, when Gabe Valdez began investigating the mysterious livestock deaths around Dulce, ranchers had reported everything from pulsing red lights to silent black helicopters. A lot of America's sagebrush rebellion sort of political thought dates from these paranoid years in the West. Because if UFOs and space aliens weren't responsible, it must be the U.S. government doing this to its own citizens, its own cowboy ranchers. No matter that most Western ranches make substantial use of American public land in the form of grazing leases on National Forest and Bureau of Land Management parcels. And that open-range ranching has long been encouraged by the American government despite what it does to the grasslands and the arid environment. Ranchers are probably more paranoid about predators than anybody else on Earth. They're the ones who led this nation to slaughter most of its wolves who shot eagles because in the western rancher's mind there was an epidemic of bald eagles 
stealing half-born calves from the womb. Ranchers get fish and game agencies to sponsor shooting contests targeting coyotes by the thousands. Shooting contests that continue in the 21st century right now. What I mean is a western cattle rancher by default will always blame a wolf or a coyote or a mountain lion or an aggressive owl or whatever native species for getting their livestock. The federal government even provides special insurance payments for livestock losses due to reintroduced predators. So the easy claim rarely questioned is that predators got your stock. To bring in reports of radiation and flying saucers and bones cleansed of horse flesh overnight, you might as well just quit paying your livestock hazard insurance and paint the word nutcase on your truck. So it was odd indeed that so many ranchers and cowboys were ready to blame something very different for their strangely slaughtered animals. Did livestock insurance cover satanic cultists or little green men in big black helicopters? Many ranchers were embarrassed to talk about it. But as the losses mounted, they demanded the government do something about it, even as some ranchers suspected it was the government itself that was responsible. From Santa Fe to Alberta, the whole of the Rocky Mountains was a crime scene. By the end of the decade, mystery mutilations had been reported in every state west of the Mississippi. From this fast-growing folklore, UFOs were taking and killing farm animals for evil reasons. Emerged another Air Force study, this one quite different than the Air Force-funded University of Colorado report. At New Mexico's Kirtland Air Force Base, a young special agent by the name of Richard Doty was beginning a career of dirty tricks for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Richard Doty's job was to use this UFO cattle paranoia to push a wild narrative that would by the 1990s become the alien UFO government conspiracy believed by billions of people around the world. In America alone, more people believe in space aliens, 65%, than the 64% who still believe in a biblical god. Not the bull god, but the post bull god, biblical god. Who also had bull horns and the oldest known image found on pottery in a temple compound on the Sinai Desert. He also had a goddess wife. The inscription says Yahweh and his Asherah. Behind the holy couple, a musician plays a lyre. Alongside them, a cow nurses a calf. Well, the Air Force had a number of black-budget, top-secret aircraft in development at the time, including some type of unmanned craft they were playing with at Kirtland AFB. In view of the home of a UFO and cattle mutilation researcher named Paul Benowitz. Benowitz had come to the base with claims that aliens were communicating with him and that he was watching their vehicles flying around Coyote Canyon just off base. 
Rick Doty had already begun feeding UFO mythology to Linda Moulton Howe, a former television news reporter who had done a documentary on the Colorado cattle mutilations. The stories seemed to mix the plot lines of the recently popular movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind with all manner of pulp science fiction. Before long, poor old Paul Benowitz had been convinced the Air Force was actually running an entire underground base at Dulce, beneath Archuleta Mesa, the mountain that looms over the little town, capital of the Hickory Apache Nation. Members of the tribe had been seeing strange entities and lights in the sky long before there was a United States. But it would take Rick Doty's disinformation campaign to connect all of this with an underground city full of actual space monsters. This information would drive poor old Paul Benowitz straight to the psych ward. All in a day's work for Sergeant Doty. Meanwhile, Doty was distributing film-negative images of supposed top-secret government documents of a supposed Truman administration group of military brass making deals with the space invaders. Majestic, or MJ-12, became the founding legend of modern UFO myth. And the documents were fake. Pretty good fakes, but with enough evidence of a hoax to make the entire UFO research community look like a bunch of clowns. It worked. Doty, it turns out, had been involved with feeding stories of Roswell to a UFO writer named Bill Moore, whose 1980 book, The Roswell Incident, would create an entire conspiracy narrative around the 1947 crash of a dish-shaped atmospheric A-bomb sniffer attached to a weather balloon. A top-secret project called Mogul. Mogul involved nearly a hundred such detectors that were loaded with recording equipment that could pick up evidence of the Russians testing their own new bombs half a world away. But in the days of the early internet, of Usenet message boards, and the first dial-up online services where this manufactured UFO mythology exploded in the late 1980s and early 1990s. These tales were chilling. And the tale of Dulce Base went like this. Having made treaties with a variety of space alien civilizations after first contact in the 1940s or 1950s, the U.S. government's sole superpower of the Western world allowed hundreds or perhaps thousands of aliens to live beneath the mountain in Dulce. Worse yet, some of these alien races had the Pentagon's permission to do their strange experiments on humans and cattle, mutilations, abductions, and especially impregnating human women with alien hybrids. It was Gabe Valdez, a New Mexico state trooper, who first publicized the idea that advanced secret government craft were involved in the region's frequent cattle mutilations. All weird enough, but like so many documented cases of high strangeness, there was no overall cosmology. No theology to go with it. Or demonology, which is what Rick Doty added. 
The underground base was seven stories deep and had passages that went down more than a mile. The species of aliens sharing the facility included the popular gray goblins from Close Encounters and the lizard sleestack humanoids, like from the kids' show, Land of the Lost. At one point, the different aliens had a shootout in the corridors of Dulcie Base. I wonder if they use regular human guns. But the ugliest part of the legend, a part that speaks to our primal fears of changelings and dubious gods messing in the affairs of men and women, involved a vast laboratory containing thousands of glass vats of growing embryos. Embryos of a new hybrid alien race that would soon take over the planet. This was a conspiracy behind the X-Files TV show and dozens of lesser science fiction tales. And it fit neatly with the abduction phenomenon of the 1980s. Studied and endorsed by Harvard Medical School's head of psychiatry, Dr. John Mack, who was struck dead by a car going the wrong way down the street. Phil Schneider, who toured the UFO conventions, telling his version of the Dulcie based conspiracy theory, would hold up his hand, his hand missing several fingers. And he would swear he'd lost those fingers in a firefight between human and alien soldiers. And then Schneider would kill himself in 1996. Dulce, New Mexico remains Dulce, New Mexico. The last time I was there, a half dozen years ago, it was still a small town of about 3,000 souls. Still on the Hickory Apache Reservation. Other than some UFO t-shirts in the Sleepy Casino's gift shop, there was little evidence of a story that dominated UFO discourse for decades. If you go, and you should, as it's a beautiful and haunted landscape, much of it wild, go with the knowledge that while the Dulce Base Conspiracy was invented by members of your military to cover up their own aerospace projects during the last years of the Cold War with the Soviet Union. People had and still have real experiences with odd crafts in the sky, and people still keep finding bizarrely mutilated livestock. Like all waves of strange phenomena, the mutilations move from region to region, most recently eastern Oregon and western Australia. Friends, here's a public service announcement. Here's something nice you can do with your time while also enjoying a beautiful camp out at Mojave National Preserve. Of course, you recall the big fire on SEMA Dome 
which burned up so many Joshua trees in that largest, densest Joshua tree forest on the planet. Well, now the Mojave National Preserve is looking for volunteers to help replant the burn area with baby Joshua trees now being grown for this very purpose. This is happening December 3 through December 17. Call the preserve at area code 760-252-6100 to register as a Joshua Tree Planting Campout Volunteer. Or send an email to moja, M-O-J-A, underscore, volunteer, at nps.gov. That's a National Park Service. to Zizek's and across the great Mojave wilderness, this is Desert Oracle Radio broadcasting from Joshua Tree. I hope you're enjoying the autumn weather. If you've got some autumn where you are, can never be too sure when it will arrive in the various parts of the American Southwest. Sometimes you're sweating under your Yucca Man costume on Halloween night. And sometimes you're freezing in the septic tank where those terrible people buried you alive. Last time you'll go to the desert with those people. Desert Oracle Radio will be on tour starting on Friday, November 26th in San Diego. Saturday the 27th in Tucson. Thursday, December 2 in Austin. Saturday the 4th in Dallas. Sunday the 5th in San Antonio, Pearl Harbor Day in Galveston, Wednesday, December 8 in New Orleans, Saturday, December 11 in Memphis, Sunday the 12th in Norman, Oklahoma, Tuesday the 14th in Santa Fe, Wednesday the 15th in Phoenix, Friday, December 17 in Los Angeles. Tickets go on sale Thursday, October 21. It'll be on our social media deals and on our website, DesertOracle.com. And next Saturday, October 23, I'll be at the Las Vegas Book Festival performing like a circus, circus, android monkey. Lots of interesting things happening there at the return of the in-person Las Vegas Book Festival. At the historic 5th Street School downtown, we'll have the Desert Oracle hardback book on sale, and I'll be signing what you bring. Join us at patreon.com, Desert Oracle, and maybe one day we'll get a robot for the radio studio out here. Dress it up like a baby coyote or a adult tarantula. Thanks to Red, Blue, Black, Silver for new soundscapes tonight. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to floss after you eat all the mini candy bars intended for the kids who don't even come around anymore because the population is rapidly dropping and soon kids will be as rare as a good job with benefits. And we will all be praying for a robot to dress our mini wounds. Watch out out there. Good night from the voice of the desert. <laughs>